Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Uh, right, first question is this. My grandson is 16. He's just come out as gay and I'm ashamed to say that I'm struggling with it. One, uh, on, on the one hand, I'm proud of him for being upfront about it. But it's been three months and I'm still finding it hard to accept. I keep worrying about his future. Will he have children? Could he be attacked like that poor man outside the George last week or worse, murdered? Plus, I'm Catholic and I'm not sure how to accept that my church wouldn't allow him to get married or recognise any future relationship he has. If I'm honest, I wish he wasn't gay and I feel like he's no longer the boy I knew. I know this is an awful thing to feel, but how can I get over this so that I can love my grandson as he is rather than a version of him in my head. Oh, the struggle in this is really yeah. palpable. But like a fair, fair juice to them oh, for being so Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's something that we all have to get, you know, a bit braver with is owning our questions, mm. our uncertainty, our confusion, our struggle with things. It is okay to have questions. Um, I mean, really, though, what this comes down to is your grandson... First of all, he's not the boy you knew anyway, regardless, because he's 16 now. Yeah. So this kind of little boy grandson that you knew in your head, no matter what about his sexual orientation, he's not that boy. He's growing up and that's hard, I think, for grandparents as well. But what he really needs now is unconditional love and support to know that he is accepted for who he is rather Mm. than this image you had in your mind, you know, or, or who you wish him to be. But and I, just to come back to it, I'm like, this grandparent is allowed to have questions, you know, because I think sometimes it's, well, I'm not supposed to find this hard, so I better say nothing. And then yes, it gets all yeah, awkward and, yeah. and there can be then this gap that emerges in the relationship. And really, I, I think it's the connection that you want to protect here um, because the grandchild and grandparent relationship is can be often is such an important relationship in children's lives growing up and in grandparents' lives. Mm, yeah. And I think, you know, that connection matters way more than any confusion. So, yes, you're allowed to have questions, of course, but communicate with him that these are based on your desire to better understand rather than questions of judgment. Yeah. You know, because if you're saying, look, I do have some questions. Um, Some of them might sound a bit awkward. I'm really not trying to. It's my confusion. I'm just trying to understand how this will. And also to share, I'm worried about you. And it's not that I'm worried about you. I'm worried about other people's behaviour. Towards you. Towards you. Because those that's a valid worry, but not to put all of this onto him. Because that's not where it belongs. I think, you know, you you really need to also be there for him and his family, you know, who are your family as well. And be part of this change, be part of this journey as opposed to apart from it. Mm. So I think go slow and steady, you know, as you've done here really well in articulating your questions, your uncertainty, your confusion, you know, make sure that you communicate that with his parents, with his family and with him. But you're still his grandparent mm. and that relationship really needs to be protected I, I think that's what it what it is about I think it's about just saying I'm, I'm a little bit worried for you but I'm worried because of other people's behaviour um, you're always going to be my grandson I'll always be your grandparent but just give me a little bit of space and time to wobble and maybe get this a bit wrong before I get it right yeah because yeah, it, it strikes me it's perfectly reasonable to be worried because of the reasons uh, that this grandparent cited. The, the violence, uh, general homophobia, it's the harder road to take in life, I suppose, put it that way. Um, 
But I, what I sense though is there's something internal to them though as well. There's that's another to problem. It. Yeah, that uh, it's that's not. Like, it's not there's just something that. Means they grew up yeah. in a different time. They're Catholic, and you know, there's part of them going, "This isn't allowed yeah. or wasn't allowed," and I don't know how to accommodate that, especially if if. Uh, you know, he's never going to get married in a Catholic church, his grandson. I know, and I think that's something that can be a struggle for so many people, that the faith that you hold and believe in and matters so much for you works against somebody that you love and care about. And you can't reconcile, well, how does, can I love both? Of course you can, but some of this struggle is with the Catholic Church. Some of it is with other people's behaviour. Some of it is internally. This isn't how I fantasised or envisaged your life going or looking or what does this mean? And some of it are questions that could be quite easily addressed by your grandson, mm. you know. But I think what's, what also comes across because they've taken the time to write this in to us is I love him. Yeah. And yeah. I really want to do better and do yeah. right by him. And I think that's the piece that I would pursue. Yeah. I would really, it's always about keep the connection there. You're allowed to wobble and be confused, but own that as your struggle. That's not for him to address for you. You're going to grapple with that and work it out, but you're always going to be there for him as best you can. And just be part of this. You know, he is a really important part of your family. He's 16 years old. He shared this part of his life and identity with all of his family. That's a huge, big piece for him as well. Mm. And, you know, he really needs to be supported and commended for that. Yeah. I suppose, if anything, it just shows you every day's a school day. It doesn't matter how old you get. I know. There's always I know, something there's always new to learn. And maybe it's something like this and you go, gosh, I didn't even know I had these questions or confusion until mm. it was in my family. And I think you're better off to add, don't sit with them ask them, but in a respectful way where you own the struggle, it's not his struggle. Yeah. I have a 14-year-old son who has low body confidence and self-esteem. I find he doesn't want to take part in any extracurricular activities that I know would help build his confidence. Mm. Do you have any advice on what I could do to support him or the tools that could help? God, there's so much about this at the moment. And I think, you know, we're hearing so much about more rather about teenagers experience. You know, we had the Ombudsman for Children's report about the impact the pandemic has had Mm, on teenagers, you know, 10 to 17 years old and highlighting things like, you know, um, needing to really invest in relationships with friends and loneliness, all of which are part of our general sense of self and confidence. And of course, we've had, you know, also recently those statistics that are, you know, being publicised around the Dove Self-Esteem Project who broke down, because I think historically, Sean, you know, self-esteem is often thought about as something girl grapple with and something we need to invest in our teenage girls with. But that project broke down the stats into boys and girls. And what came out of that, interestingly, is there isn't really a big difference between self-esteem struggles for teenage boys and teenage girls. And that's really interesting that I think the conversation is broadening and opening up about what do we need to do to support our boys with this? Because we've spoken, we get lots of questions about, um, you know, extracurricular activities and do they matter or what, you know, how to get kids into them or to commit to them. And they are, of course, a great way to boost self-esteem. They're not the only way. They are a great way, but they're not the only way. But Mm. also we know from from the Self-Esteem Project that 62% of kids, um, I think it's 70% of girls, but again, not a big difference, are opting out of extracurricular activities based on how they feel about their appearance, their body appearance. So that's really striking and something that I think we do need to tackle head on in a proactive way. We're great, you know, to be reactive to wait till there's a problem and then go, gosh, what should we do about it? But I think we need to be kind of really building that in. So there are things to do. Yes, there are resources for sure. Look, there are resources attached to that self-esteem project. I'll happily post a link 
to that um, in my bio on social media, my Instagram um, later on for anyone. I think there's because uh, sometimes I think these are really difficult conversations. You go, that sounds great, but how am I going to bring this up with my teenager? <clears throat> Let's talk about self-esteem. It yes. just feels a bit clunky <laughs> and awkward. And actually, they, there's some great pointers there about how to frame um, that conversation, how to kickstart it. But ultimately, we can see there are resources. But what those resources exist is that we begin to see that as parents or teachers or sports coaches or whoever we are in the lives of children, we're a resource. It's us and it's the relationship that we have with our teenagers. So, yes, use these resources to frame the conversation, but see yourself as that. Don't be printing out handouts and just handing them to kids. See yourself as that resource. I always think, you know, and I've said it here before about praising effort over outcome and making sure you're specific and praise that you don't just go, well done. You say, I could see you worked really hard. I know that wasn't easy for you and you stuck at it. That makes me really proud of you. That's much more effective at strengthening self-esteem than a generalised comment. Mm. I also think with teenagers, we have to get better at being interested in what interests them. You know, too often we look at the TV shows they watch or the music they listen to and we deride it. We go, oh, that's not music, that's noise or why are you watching that rubbish? Instead, get interested in what interests them. Watch the show without criticising it. Listen to the music and let them see you doing that and show them that you're interested because it teaches them they're interesting. Yes. And that's a really practical way to start boosting and not just boosting, but strengthening and enhancing self-esteem, but also doing it within the parent-child connection. So I think lots of ways that you can do it. Um, I, I certainly don't think you're alone and I don't see that. Don't say that lightly as a way of going, sure, look at half the kids out there have no self-esteem. Don't worry about it. I think the opposite. If half the kids out there have low self-esteem, we all need to worry about it and do something about it. The, it well, and it's, it's probably a how long is a piece of string question, but like, when does this start? Mm. Does this because it's it's my general impression? It seems to be a thing that that that, that displays itself more when they hit puberty in their teenage yeah. years. And the, but like, has a process begun before that? Definitely, we're looking really at middle childhood where we see this emerging. You know, and the kind of eight to twelve, but really that preteen peaking at nine, ten mm. onwards. So you're right. Often we see it at kind of fourteen, fifteen, and there is a developmental awkwardness in adolescence as kids are working out who they are. Mm, you sure. know, re- rediscovering identity and what, who's like me, who's not. They go through those processes of a estrangement and establishing they're nothing like their parents. You know, I'm anything but like you. And there is that kind of developmental piece. But the self-esteem then gets battered developmentally. But if you went in already vulnerable and fragile, it's particularly pronounced. So I would say you start it young. Like I'm thinking, Sean, talking to you, I have an almost five year old and every morning she stands in front of the mirror and says, I look beautiful today. And it makes me smile partly because I love hearing it, but Mm. also because, gosh, I would love to have that self-belief of a five-year-old and give it to teenagers that could stand in front of the mirror and say, God, I look beautiful Mm. today and approach the world with that outlook. But if we can invest in that very kind of specific praise, effort over outcome, really encouraging kids to master tension. You know, a lot of kids, especially little ones, will have been going on, you know, Easter camps or whatnot over the break. And there might be those nerves of, oh, yeah, I'm a bit true. nervous about yeah. this, that we don't hover like helicopters going, I'll make sure there's no discomfort for you, but that we say, 
it is hard and we validate that because you've never been here before but I bet you're going to enjoy it and you'll find something and you'll meet a friend and lo and behold most of the time that is the experience Mm. but they get to experience mastery over tension and that's also a great way to begin that self-esteem boost that it's okay for me to feel nervous but I will be able to master that because I'm confident in doing so and if we can continue those experiences right through middle childhood and really keep the conversation about body confidence about self-esteem about you know giving those opportunities to practice independence early and then grow them up in line with our kids we're investing in it from the earliest ages starting the conversation in teenage years not impossible but it's a little bit harder yeah uh, one comment on uh, the, uh, the the first email that Jonah was dealing with uh, from the grandparent uh, who's struggling a bit with their 16 year old grandson ca- coming out as gay this might be a little bit harsh but I'll read it out anyway that person should leave the Catholic Church it's the church's problem not the grandson's on the other on the other things you just need to accept you don't need to understand people always think they need to understand you don't great if you understand you do however always need to accept how people choose to live their lives except of course being gay isn't a choice it's just the way it is and should be celebrated uh, says this text there so, I don't know, might be a little bit harsh. Understanding Maybe more of a can feel- grow, yeah. yeah. I mean, you might start from a place of, look, the one thing that hasn't changed here is I love you. That's mm. a constant. So I can use that, the fact that I still love you and have always loved you and always will and accept. And then within that, within that love and connection, that's why I kept saying really strengthen and invest in the connection. Understanding can grow and evolve. Yeah. Also, do they need, need to keep... <laughs> This is outside your area. I don't know if they need to leave the Catholic Church necessarily. There's no such thing as a perfect Catholic. Plus, there are many Catholics who uh, still would identify as Catholics and go to Mass and wouldn't necessarily agree with everything. And faith Uh, means lots of different things to different people. Absolutely. Uh, Do you you think the churches are filled with people who never had sex before marriage? I don't think so. You are listening (laughs) to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break. After that, the five-year-old has got more bold after starting school. Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Next question is this I have a five year old boy who was generally very good, but since starting school, I find him very wild and he lies when asked about naughty things he may have done. I do talk to him and tell him why it's wrong, etc. Is it a phase or should there be more to it? Uh, this is, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, look, he's five and starting school. But, the, you know, just the these lining up, it doesn't mean causation, does yeah, it? You know, yeah. that we're, it's not because he went to school, he's, his behaviour has disimproved. I mean, sure, look, at if you think there's something going on at school, get curious about it. But I would stay out of certainty for sure here. This would be one where I'm like, you know, look at his age. He's busy. He's coming into contact with lots of other kids. One of the ways that small kids try to understand, you know, behaviour patterns and expressions in others is they repeat them. Mm. So there could be a a little bit of that going on but again that would be developmental not, yeah. a, not a problem um, but the thing about the telling the lies is always interesting to me because I really believe that learning how to tell a lie is as developmentally important as learning how to tell the truth Yeah, I, yeah. Know, I know that's not a popular mm. um, theory on this but I really do believe it because you know children start to be able to tell us lies about three years old you'll get some of them who'll be quicker to that mark and they'll be doing it at two you know where they're holding the red crayon and it's all over the wall and they're like it wasn't me you know they don't tell good lies (laughs) at that age but they begin to do it and then that kind of propensity for lying and 
you know, little richer narrative to the lie really increases between four and six years old. Mm. And most kids are closer to eight, nine years old before they've refined the art of lying and they could tell you something that they might actually get away with, that you might be going, oh, OK, I'm not sure that could be the truth. Mm. So, you know, a clumsy lie or lots of fantastical stories, as I'm going to call them, between four and six years old where this little guy is, is very, very normal. OK, so, you know, I don't want you psychopathologizing this or worrying, gosh, you know, who am I raising here? What does this mean for his future? Um, you know, lots of reasons why they lie. They lie like any of us, let's be honest. They lie to cover something up, to avoid a consequence. Um, often at this age, they're testing your response. Mm. because they may be about to tell you something else but I'll open with this one and see how it goes and then decide what I'm going to do. Um, to make a story they're telling us more exciting they might embellish and add in more details. Again, I think when you're listening you'd be bringing to mind adults who do this as well. Um, and also don't forget at this age they're really in the throes of rich imagination. So that can also lend itself to a good old lie. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> or embellishment. Mm. And there is a difference between a tall tale and a deliberate lie. You know, because a deliberate lie is where I know what I'm doing. I know this isn't the truth and I might have a, a list of reasons for it or one specific reason, but I know that I'm lying to you. A tall tale is I'm kind of in this story. The imagination has kicked off into it and now I'm just like, this is amazing. I'll keep going. Mm. And with the tall tale one, it's about imagination. So I would respond to it with imagination and find it interesting and kind of creatively say, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then and bring them deeper and deeper. So it's almost to a point they go, oh, come here, that's not true because I've mm. lost my way in the story now that we've gotten so deep. With a deliberate lie, I would be honest with children and say, I know that's not the truth. Let them know. Don't set them up to fail. Don't taunt them with it. Just say gently yet firmly, I know that's not the truth. Do you want to try it again and tell me the truth? You're never in trouble in this family for telling the truth. And that needs to be your truth, by the way, because then if I do tell you the truth and I still get punished or consequenced, I don't have an incentive to tell you the truth yes, again. Yeah. So it might be that you then say, well, I really like that you told me the truth. What you did isn't OK and I don't want to see it again, but there's no consequence because the truth is never consequenced. And you do it that way. So you can promote honesty as well, you know, um, in that way, but also by modelling it yourself that you own your own mistakes, that you might even share, oh, I made a mistake in a report I was writing today or in an email and I had to tell somebody that I didn't get that right. But it was, you know, better that I told them than I pretended it wasn't me and that you model that kind of behaviour so they see it and go, oh, that's the right thing to do and it's valued. And I think, you know, you could play games with this as well, you know, play two truths and a lie and see about spot and lie and, you know, don't make it hard, mm. <laughs> you know, especially at five. Make it fantastical and almost ridiculous and a bit silly because that's what you want to do with playfulness. Um, and I think you can sometimes as well, if, especially if it's of the tall tale variety, buy into the lie and be like, oh, my goodness, and make your reaction so over the top that they're nearly like, oh, come here. That's not actually the truth that mm. they tell on themselves. Yeah. But I just or you could play at being an investigator, couldn't you? And go, hmm, so this is the evidence. Let me now look at all the evidence and I'm going to investigate. Is that the truth you're telling me or is that a lie? But you do it in character of being an investigator. So you can you're still addressing it, but you're doing it in the language of play, which your son is going to recognize and respond to much easier than if he feels parent in charge, I'm in trouble, I better button down on this lie mm. because I don't want to get in trouble. But I think it's quite developmentally normal. Yeah, though it, 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 it seems to be in relation to naughty things he may have done and mm -hmm. then he's become very wild now. 
he's a five-year-old boy. Well, Isn't again, that a normal state of being for a five-year-old boy? Again, like, because I know what wild for a five-year-old means to me, but I hmm. don't know what it means to everyone yeah. else. So it really depends. If, if you've a, a child who at three and four was quite placid and laid back and suddenly their behaviour has changed, it can seem like a dramatic change. But busy, boisterous, active, wanting that high stimulation, high charge, that's, you know, possibly what he's getting in school at yard time or playtime, isn't it? When they're outside running into each other, crashing, screaming, roaring and a lot of wild play. So you can do some structure play, but also he may be cueing you that he needs a little bit of higher stimulation to release some of that energy that he's mm. holding. So make sure that you've waves of playful energy stuff in his day, including the running around, getting outdoors, a lot of physical release. Because again, I, like again, it depends on what wild means. If you're talking about wild or if you're talking about kind of a constant, hyperactive, highly charged behaviour. Those are different things. Yeah. If, if you're listening and going, look, I think what I'm describing is much more than this. You could always check with the teacher and see how they're finding him in school. Mm. And if they're saying, well, now that you've mentioned it, we have noticed a difference and we are having to correct behaviour a lot. You could do that. Yeah. It is funny, the stuff they come out with. Though, oh, when, yeah. they're, when they're spinning, ta- like that my six-year-old has a friend who has been in the back of our car once or twice, but, you know, kind of Iva Donkey has invented <laughs> brothers that she doesn't have. And then kind of was like, that what she thought was the most impressive thing was to tell every announce to the car that her father was a science teacher. He's not even a teacher, but I don't know. <laughs> to her, that was the, like the coolest thing you could be. Which Absolutely. Which was kind of sweet. Uh, you know really. so much. Yeah. Uh, now, we have a fabulous eight-year-old boy who's a lovely, happy, good-humoured fellow who gets on well with his 10-year-old sister. Doing well in school, plenty of friends. I suppose he's never been the hardest, has always made a bit of an issue out of the usual cuts, scratches, bumps and bruises, but nothing out of the ordinary. Recently, though, he's going through a phase of milking injuries to a ridiculous extent. I don't think he's making them up entirely, but they are not as nearly as bad as he's making them out to be. The most recent example involved what he said was a twisted ankle which had him limping and hobbling as if he'd been shot in the foot. The limp came and went through the day. Our response is usually not to draw attention to him too much while he is doing this, although I must admit I have said go on your ground quite a few times if he regularly mentions it to me. Where it gets annoying is that he had his swimming lesson later in the day, which he usually likes, and he just stood in the pool and barely moved for the whole thing. He has previously not taken part in other classes or activities due to other alleged injuries, but it can happen when there are no activities as well. He had a play date arranged with his best friend this morning, though, and made a miraculous recovery. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look... Sometimes people, I do want to be really kind of sensitive to sensitive people who might feel pain Mm, at a higher level. He may have a very low pain threshold. And, you know, I always say, look, always check it out. So, I mean, if you're thinking, because I'm imagining with this, like if you have a child who's like, oh, my goodness, my leg is falling off, that you can get quite dismissive quite quickly and go, for goodness sake, here you go again. So, I mean, there will be the time that he will genuinely have an injury that does need to be responded to. Well, yeah, I mean, I cut down that thing, but they are a bit worried about the crying wolf incident. Yeah, and that's actually what it's sounding a little like. But always check it out. And I would kind of separate this out into naming one type of injury as oh because if you look if a child has a physical injury and you get them to stand on one leg and the other and hop and jump you're kind of gauging where are we falling on this Mm. and you could name it as a sofa and cuddles injury 
okay? Yeah. That requires sofa and cuddles and this is like a prescription and you treat it very seriously. Oh, this is a sofa and cuddles. Let's get you to the sofa and the blanket and we're going to sit and we're going to cuddle and give this time. And then the, when you follow sofa and cuddles, the next stage is, oh, now we have to play to make sure that those muscles get moving again and that we get your leg moving or your arm or whatever the injury is. And then you would say, oh, I think this is a body injury. And then you get the ice packs and the raised foot or whatever it is. But both are real. And I think that's the important thing, because for him, it may not be that he has a swelling or a muscle pull, but he has a hurt or an injury and he's trying to elicit something from it. So I would treat both as real, but separate ah sofa and cuddles. Oh, ice pack different Mm. kinds of injuries. And, you know, that that's how you're going to do it. I also think um, stay with curiosity over certainty, because I think, you know, Sean, with this kind of stuff, these kids are often dismissed as attention seekers Mm. and attention seeking behaviour is often or more often connection seeking behaviour. Something in him just and it's not that you're not giving him enough, you know, these parents, but it might some kids are sensitive and they need a little bit more. They need a bit more nurture, a bit more one on one time, a bit more focus on them and they'll find ways of eliciting that from us. So I would say play with nurture without him contriving to be minded, you know, do soft play, gentle play, wrap up in the blanket, you know, swinging or singing, not swinging, swinging in a blanket. (laughs) Certainly that could be part of it, but singing songs, just swaying, enjoying that piece. And there's little bits that you could do for nurture play that just involve, say, a cotton ball and a feather and you get him to close his eyes and guess are you touching his cheek with a cotton ball or a feather? It should not be difficult to make that guess, by the way. Make them obvious. And doing little, you know, cotton ball face massage, gentle types of play, um, baking, sensory play, all of that kind of stuff so that he's getting nurtured and minded through play without having to do anything to bring that focus to himself. You know, pretending to be sick or injured is neither new nor uncommon. It's very common. Every one of us at some point in our life has pretended to be sick or pretended something was a little bit worse than it is, usually because the secondary gain was very, very big for us in doing so. But I would always be kind and sympathetic to him. Um, I I think that's the best way to do it. I wouldn't say, oh, I don't believe you or roll the eyes because then you're teaching him that oh, well, this injury isn't big enough to get a reaction from yeah, you. I've yeah, got to ramp yeah, it up. Yeah. So I would respond in the other way where I'd nearly over nurture a small thing so that he's getting what he needs very quickly and the injury isn't needed. Yeah. My young son is, obs- we've had this kind of question before, variants mm-hmm. of it. My young son is obsessed with me, his mom, and won't let his father do anything anything for him. He will only allow me tasks like bath time, bedtime, cutting his food and even taking him for a walk. It's getting exhausted Mm -hmm. because I physically don't have the time anymore to do everything. I'm also worried about the relationship that is building between my son and his father. I want them to be close. What should I do to make him less reliant on me? Now, we don't know the age of this child, but based on bath time, bedtime, cutting Mm. food, I'm thinking toddlerish. Yeah. You know, kind of 18 months upwards, maybe. And, you know, this isn't unusual, John. Like toddlers show... I mean, listen, don't they show a strong preference for so many things like a jumper, a pair of shoes or a particular teddy. And it's also very common that they show strong parental preferences at this age, um, usually tied to their needs in the moment or their developmental needs at that stage. So if I want, you know, if mom smells or sounds or moves in her tone of voice in a certain way, that might just appeal to me more. So what can look like preference isn't really that I don't love dad and I only love you. It's more you best meet my needs at this moment. And I like Mm. how you do bath and I like how you do these things. So I want you to do them. Also, at this age, they're asserting themselves, you know, in toddlerhood of me, my, 
I, you know, I'm going to decide how this goes. And if I get to say, not you, you, I'm actually calling quite a lot of the shots, haven't I? You know, it's quite a bit of control for him to have. Um, But I would say, as look, it's easy for me to say, but I am going to say it anyway. Don't personalise it because this will move. You know, give this six months, nine months, 12 months, a different set of developmental needs kick in and your son may decide, "Mm, actually, those needs now are better met by the other parent who's now my favourite. And the preference will shift that way. What I would say to you is you're going to do a lot of redirecting because that's always your friend um, with parenting toddlers. So gently yet firmly persist because it's not like you're going to say, oh, I'm in the middle of doing something. Can you ask dad to do that? And he's going to go, sure. Why didn't I think of that? He's going to push, push, push for you. You have to gently yet firmly persist. With things like bath time and bedtime, I would suggest you do it together for a period of time and that you're both singing and playing at the same time then you have to pop out for Mm. a minute oh I just have to get the towel I forgot to bring the towel in or I forgot to whatever and you step out for a few minutes and you leave them alone playing, singing doing exactly like you were doing and you extend that time and you build up more of that expectation of the other parent doing it I think that's a great way to, to do this yeah. but it is just about persistence but what I'm hearing here is the exhaustion of the parent doing I all the know, heavy lifting yeah, stuff yeah. so you know do kind of say you know oh I want my food cut have your own hands busy or messy and say oh I can't do it dad can do that for you or fake do it with a way, in a way that your knife isn't working oh I can't do it My, it's not cutting it's not cutting and dad can come in and take over and do it so you're normalising for him both of us can meet your needs mm. though uh, presumably given it's a toddler <laughs> uh, that toddler is going to resist those those little changes. And is wired no, to do so. Absolutely. And that's what they're wired to do. But, mm. you know, toddlers are great, you know, especially when they have that secure, you, you can meet my needs. Now I'm going to hit you with my wants and I have, you know, no delayed gratification <laughs> or impulse control. I want stuff and I want it now. And when you say no, that is just an invitation for negotiations to begin. That yeah. is bang on for what tod- toddlers should be doing. It doesn't mean it's easy or pleasant as a parent. No. But it is. So we have to say it's OK for you to want me to do it but that doesn't mean I can always do it yeah Joanna thanks a million Thank as you. ever uh, Joanna Fortune there you are listening to the Moncrief show on News Talk. we're going to take a break after this after that uh, preparing for disaster Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland